Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. So very quickly, the number one priority of every camp meeting we have is the salvation of souls. Is what? You see, so I want to start with a simple but powerful salvation message. And so uh, I'm going to be teaching for the most part and here and there I'm going to preach a bit. But you know, it's so sad that some of us only hear teachings like this ceremoniously. We only hear it during Easter. Because Easter is that time of the year where almost all churches finally remember that Jesus died. And it, it, the occasion forces most churches to finally preach the gospel. And just by way of introduction, I want to remind you that the cross remains the crux of everything that the church stands for. It's, it's not the icing on the cake, it's the cake. Say loud amen, somebody. So I, I just want to talk about what Christ has done and who we are because of what Christ has done. I want to do a scanty commentary on Matthew chapter 27. And I'm going to divide it into three parts. I'm going to talk about verse 40 and then verse 27 to 31 and then verse 45 to 54. I start with verse 40. Feel free to open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 27, verse 40. Background of the story, Jesus has been arrested. And he's on the cross, hoisted up there. Nails in his hands. Nails in his feet. And there were spectators at the foot of the cross. And they said something that if you speed read, you're going to miss. But those of you who know the Bible, when you read this carefully, it should stand out to you. The second part of it, they said, if you are, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you are, if you observe the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, there was always a pattern. Because repeatedly, before Satan said whatever it is he said, he would say, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. And mind you, the Bible tells us categorically in Luke chapter 4 verse 13, that after Jesus had been tempted in the wilderness, the devil left him but for a season. That means that the temptation in the wilderness was not the last temptation of Jesus. It was not the last. He was tempted. In fact, the Bible says he was at every point tempted. He was tempted throughout his incarnation. And someone would ask, it was obvious the devil was tempting him in the wilderness. Where else was the devil tempting him? Well, in other instances, he tempted him through people. Some of you know what I'm saying because someone has tempted you in this meeting. 
Maybe you reserved the seat and you came and you saw that they took the seat and uh, am, I, am, I, am I prophesying on? Sometimes it be your own people. Jesus had to look Peter in the face and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Because you savor not the things that be of God. Meaning, many times it's going to take discernment to even know that it's the devil who is using and manipulating that person. It's going to take discernment. It's not always obvious. And then here again, at the cross, you see these people saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. I put it to you, that was a temptation of the devil. These were not just some naysayers and haters, you know, talking carelessly. They were being used by the devil to tempt Jesus one last time. And this was the biggest temptation that Jesus ever faced. Mind you, at any point on the cross, Jesus could have changed his mind and said, you all aren't worth it. And, you know, just remove the nails and then removed, removed it from his feet and just elevated His life was his to give. He said, I lay my life down. The Father has given me this right. I laid, he said, I, I can take it up again. He had that privilege. Don't forget, he told Peter, he says, do you not know that I can ask the Father? And he will send legions of angels to get me out of here. They'll whisk me out of here. So the question is, why then did he stay on the cross? And the answer is simply this, because of you. Come on, did you hear what I said? He stayed on the cross because of you. He knew that his blood will be propitiation for your sins. He knew that by faith in his blood, in his redemptive sacrifice, you will have forgiveness of sins. And so he stayed. Like the popular song says, it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. I mean, look at us. Look at us, bearers of his name, here lifting up holy hands and worshiping him from different nooks and crannies of the world. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. Hallelujah. But you see, the Roman soldiers didn't care about that. All of that is nice speech. You're the son of God. Now, if I'm to describe the Roman soldiers to you, think of all those crime series. My, life, my wife loves crime series. Crime series that you watch, there is always this psychopathic detective that is given the responsibility to extract information from difficult criminals. And they will bring out their tools. They usually take time. <laughs> and they will take time to explain what each of them can do. And how miserable your life is about to become. <laughs> you see, the Roman soldiers were professional executioners. Professional. You know, when some people say, oh, maybe Jesus didn't die. Maybe he fainted. It, it, they don't know the Romans. They were experts at killing. If the Romans said you were dead, you were dead. Because there was a whole process leading up to the whole thing. You have to understand, it takes a psychopath to come up with something as horrific as the crucifixion. 
Someone sat down and said, beheading is too straightforward. Let's think of something more cruel. Yeah, crucifixion. Listen, it introduced mankind to a new level of pain never before experienced. So much so that they had to coin a new English word. The word excruciating is com is, comes from crucifixion. Excruciating. It's a new dimension of pain. And I don't want to go through the details of everything, you know, that happens on the cross. I've taught on this before. First and foremost, people think that Jesus was hanging from his palm. That's not even possible scientifically because the weight of your body will pull you down. So they nailed him from his wrists. Come on, are you paying attention here? And so many things, you know, because of the position of the body, for you to breathe, you have to push yourself up. And so, don't forget he had been bitten and there were sores on his back. So each time he went up, it was painful, but he needed to do it. The nails were seven inches long. Can you picture that? Don't think of the cute things that the carpenters use these days. Seven inches. And the beating was on another level. Many people never made it to the cross. They died at the beating. Because each whip had dumbbells and spikes. So the dumbbells, you know, made your blood vessels more sensitive and then the spikes brought out the blood. So with each whip, flesh came out. It is not fun and games. But you see, I think that's not the humiliating part and a lot of people have tried, you know, to do movies depicting this. There is no movie that fully depicted how horrific the crucifixion of Jesus was. None. Even the passion of the Christ that you couldn't watch. It was a gross underestimation. You know, so, I've read to you verse 40 and I've explained it. I want to come back to verses 27. The Bible says that the Roman soldiers, the first thing they did was to strip him naked. You know, do you know how humiliating that is? Golgotha was a public place, a market square. And then it was a reasonable distance from where he was bidden to Golgotha. So he had to walk a long distance in that chain. But before that, they first wanted to entertain themselves. So they said, oh, you are the son of God? Oh, fine. They stripped him of his clothes, and then they wore like a royal robes on him just to mock him. And instead of a crown, they made a crown of thorns and then pressed it on his, on his head. And they began to bow, you know, you know, with sarcasm and say, Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. They beat him. They slapped him and said, they, they put a blindfold on him, slapped him and said, prophesy, who slapped you? Who slapped you? I mean, they, they were just having fun. That was the plan. And finally, when they had hoisted him up the cross, they began to gamble. Who is going to win his clothes? Just imagine someone is in excruciating pain and they're just gambling for his clothes. So it was plain, you know, they were throwing the die 
rolling the die. Oh, you had six. Oh, I had four. And he's, you know, someone is fighting for his life. And then they're doing that. Picture that. And then suddenly something happened. I don't know why we don't talk about this because it's so interesting. This is the best story in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. So just, just picture this. One moment these people are spitting on him and beating him and humiliating him, you know, and all of that. They don't care about him. They don't care about him. They don't care about who he thinks he is. And then they are gambling. And then all of a sudden, at noon, everywhere becomes dark. Pitch darkness. Can you picture that? Like you're just playing and then all of a sudden everywhere becomes so dark. And you're like, what is happening? Oh my God, I hate this job. You know, <laughs> you know when your bosses make you do something, maybe in your mind you had the slight inkling that this guy is innocent. I don't want to do it, but well, it's the job. I hate this job. What is happening? And someone says, relax. It's too superstitious. It's just the eclipse of the sun. But the eclipse of the sun lasts only a few minutes. And five minutes passed. It was still dark. And then 10 and 20 and 30 minutes. One hour. Two hours. Three good hours. Now they know we're in trouble. Something is happening. Who is this man? And then in the darkness, up there on the cross, suddenly Jesus shouts with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi! Lamaxabactony! You know, these guys, at least the Jews would have had more clue. These guys are Romans. <laughs> What's he saying? Someone said, he's calling Elijah. <laughs> He said, he's calling Elijah. We're in trouble. You know, but what that actually meant was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that's a sermon on his own. Listen, because he took your place in sin, God had to turn his back. Just, just for your sake. By the way, this was the first time God was called God. Jesus ever called God, God. He always called him Father. I don't want to get into that. You know, and then he cried one more time, gave up the ghost, and then more trouble happened. There was an earthquake. Imagine all of this, the, the, the darkness and an earthquake. I tell you what happened. This is the very logos of God by whom the world was made. When his blood touched the floor, the floor couldn't take it. The floor revolted and began to split. And the Bible says that the rocks began to divide. What is happening? Tombs were opening. Graves were opened. What is happening? And then these people who were mocking and spitting on him and beating him one moment turned around and said, truly this was the son of God. By then, Jesus had given up the ghost. And so, I want to ask and answer two simple questions. Number one, why did the sun go dark? 
I'm telling you, that's an important question. Why did the sun go dark? And let me say this. The answer is so straightforward. You don't need to be a theologian. You see, the Roman centurion who was there and turned from a moment of mocking into a moment of adoration and faith, he was not a theologian, but by observation, he knew this is the Son of God by what he saw. This skeptic believed by what he saw. Because of the earthquake and the graves opening and the darkness, he knew this is the Son of God. So why did the sun refuse to shine? Because this guy, this prince of life that they just executed was the light of the world. That's why he had said it for everyone who cared to listen. John chapter 9 verse 5, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. They didn't believe it. But now they saw it. They thought it was the eclipse of the sun, S-U-N. But it was the eclipse of the sun, S-O-N. <laughs> Listen, he died and the sun refused to shine. That's when you know that this is the very force that powers the sun and all creation. This is the Logos. The writer of Hebrews says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And just the same way, there might be a generator powering the, the electricity. You don't even hear it. It's far away. But if it packs up, the light will go off. Something similar happened. Next question that must be asked and answered. Will it happen again? And the answer is yes. Yes. And this one will not last three hours. It's going to be the extinction of the, the, the entire earth. Because you see, the same thing Jesus said about himself, he said about his church. He said, I am the light of the world. He said that about himself. He said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he said, you are the salt of the earth. You know what salt does? Amongst many things, it preserves. This means at home for a staff attire. Listen, many people look at the church and they think, we are not. Religion is the opium of the masses. We are a distraction. Little do they know. We are the reason the world still exists. Now, I'm going to prove it to you. The salt of the earth will bring preservation and healing to the world. He said, you are the light of the world. The same thing he said about himself. And I'm going to show you in the word of God. When we're out of here, it all crumbles. It all crumbles. Pastor Bright, I don't know if you remember something that happened. I was casting out a demon in school, 2011, and you were there. And the demon was bragging about what they will do to the rest of the world when we go. Remember? He said, when you all leave this world, 
said, those that are left behind, we will eat, you were there, we will eat their flesh. We will, you know, so now, that means the presence of God that we carry is what is keeping the devil at bay. That's what's keeping the devil at bay. And of course, we don't get our theology from demons. So I, I want to show you from the word of God. I don't believe it. Listen, let me tell you something. The devil lies. So, uh, so I don't get my theology from demons. So I'm going to show you in the word of God. This is what Jesus says about the end of the world. And I, I want us to look into this. Oh my God, are you learning anything? Luke chapter 17 from verse 26. We we'll read from verse 26 to 30. It says, and as it was in the days of Noah. So now he says, the end of the world will be like the days of Noah. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank and they married wives and they were given to marriage until the day. Say until the day. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So as soon as Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. You know what that tells you? Noah didn't build the ark because the flood was coming. The flood came because Noah built the ark. Uh, let's read on. You see it yourself. Until the day. So this is a prophetic picture of the end of the age. When the church is expunged from the earth, everything is going to give way. He gives another example. Verse 28, likewise as it was in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built... But on the day, emphasis on the day. So it was at an instant. As soon as Noah entered the ark, strange things started happening. As soon as Lot left Sodom, strange things started happening. Until the day. So this is, this is, this is what was happening. Don't forget, when Abraham was talking to God, he said, if there are 50 people, we will so don't be saved. He said, they will be saved. Is it making sense now? Oh, what if there are 20? Oh, they will be saved. What if? So that means Lot and his family were the only ones carrying the presence of God. And as soon as they left, if there was someone else, even if it was one person, Sodom would have been saved. The same thing with Noah's ark. Only eight people. Only eight people. And so, Sodom and the days of Noah were prophetic pictures of the end of the age. Jesus himself tells you, it will be like the days of Noah. It will be like the days of Lot. Come on, are you here? Noah's ark is a picture of Christ and his salvation. No wonder he took faith to build it. 
The Bible tells us that by faith Noah built the ark. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. And the Bible calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So in warning about the coming destruction, that, we, that was an epitome of the preaching of the gospel today. There is a wrath to come. Believe. Receive salvation. Believe. So he was a preacher of righteousness. For as long as he built the ark, that was the long suffering of God. The chance for everyone to believe. Some theologians say it took him 60 years to build the ark. Some say 120 years. So now, that much time, but the same day he entered the ark, after that long, the, the exact moment he entered the ark, trouble started. And then Jesus tells us to preach the gospel, to win souls, and then he says something. He said to his disciples, any city that does not receive you, what did he say? Dust your feet and leave. He said, when you leave, I assure you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's explaining how the world will be destroyed. Do your part. Everyone who believes, you know, will be baptized and saved. Those who did not receive, dust your feet. And then as it happened in Sodom, it is going to happen in those cities. What I just explained is how the end of the world will come. Let me, let me explain this to you. Like I explained in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, the Bible says that Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. All things. And the church is the presence of God on the earth. And so when the presence of God leaves, it all crumbles. It's that simple. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. This explains eschatology, or that's just a fancy theological jargon for the end of the world. All right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from or away from the presence of the Lord. So listen, everlasting destruction is away from the presence of the Lord. The moment the presence of the Lord leaves the earth, destruction. Come on, do you get it now? Now, someone would ask, why would a loving God send anyone to hell? The answer is so simple. God loves you too much to force you to be in his presence against your will. And let me use something typical to explain this to you. Now, some of you, this is your reality. Imagine there's a lady you're in love with as a guy. You know, you're in love with a lady. And you are determined to treat her like a queen should she say yes. You will take care of her all your life. You know, you will love her. You will never treat her harshly. You know, use harsh, harsh words against her. You will give her breakfast in bed, you know, and all of that, you know. But all of your imaginations, nice as they are, are dependent on one thing. 
She has to say yes. She has to say yes. Now you know that if she says yes, she's never going to regret it. Someone is like, Pastor, tell her, tell her. She, she's right here. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm speaking hypothetically. <laughs> but this is the power of choice and free will. Some will not only say no, they will go ahead and date an idiot. I'm not saying, this is not true in all cases, but you know what I'm saying. It does happen. You know, like, everyone is saying, this guy... <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody's wanting you. I'm in love. You know, what is going on? I mean, you know, I, I, you know how painful it is to want to treat someone right and see the person in the wrong relationship and all of that. And then this is the worst case scenario. It's not a relationship, seven. You know, but imagine she now comes to you to be complaining about the relationship. <laughs> there is no greater def- definition of friend zone. That's that's you are the chairman. Of friend zone association. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know? Now imagine that out of desperation, you know she deserves love. She deserves love. So you kidnap her. <laughs> and you take her to your house. It's for your own good. I love you. Let's stay here together and build a home. Why are you laughing? You know, that's what many people want God to do. That's what many people want God to do. You become a criminal. Listen, even if your motives are just to love on this person, at the end of the day, the person has the choice to accept or to reject. And it's so painful. And so the responsible thing for such a person to do is to just to give up and, and, you know, and listen, God can also give up because there's an appointed time after which it's time up. As they did not retain God in their consciousness, he gave them up to a reprobate mind. You don't have an eternity to make this decision. If you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, Don't wait till tomorrow. Because you see, Jesus is coming soon, but you may meet him before he meets you. That's a fact. That's a fact. Not everyone will meet the rapture. Some, he says, those who were dead in Christ will rise first. So some will meet him before he meets us. You're hearing the word of God. Harden not your hearts as they did in the wilderness. Harden not your heart. As a round of the Bible says, very simply in John chapter 3, verse 16. I know you know John 3, 16. I'm going to read to verse 18 this time so that you get the fullness of the text. It says, For God told of the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I told you about the end of the world not to scare you. This is a love story, but not all love stories end well. 
and you have the power to write your own script. God loved the world this way. Someone says, well, I don't feel it. It's not a feeling, it's a fact. God loved the world this way. You see, see, listen, this is a translation issue because you see, when we read this, we think he's, he's talking about so as an adjective. God loved the world so much. The text didn't say God loved the world so much, he gave. He says, God by so doing, that's what he means. He's saying the death of Jesus is a demonstration of the love of God. God, by doing this, loved the world. Meaning forever. We don't have to question God's love. We just look at the cross. This is the proof of God's love. He, he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, whosoever, it doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter what you've done. Whosoever believes in him, should not perish. Listen tonight. You don't have to perish. You don't have to die. Someone died your death. Whosoever. Like someone brilliantly said. I am whosoever. I'm, I'm whosoever. Oh, I'm thankful for the cross. And listen. The simplicity of the requirement of salvation. Is the love of God. I mean, if someone told you that you could do something to have eternal life, what would you be willing to do if they had to give you three injections daily? Some of you won't take. <laughs> you, you can't take injections to save your life. <laughs> but the right-thinking person would. <laughs> or if you, if you were supposed to receive 60 strokes of the cane every day. Oh, for eternal life. <laughs> you are saying it because it's free. <laughs> you don't know what it is. Even if you say, ah, I'm not doing. When you're on your deathbed, God forbid, flog me. Flog. They say, you have malaria. Flog it like that. <laughs> but then, all you have to do is believe. 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 That's all. Believe. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is good news. And then in verse 17, verse 17, he says, God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. But that man by him might be saved. That's why he sent his son. Not for condemnation. He sent his son for our salvation. And then in verse 18, he says, whosoever believes is not condemned. But whosoever believes not is condemned already. Now, so, what is the disparity? He didn't send his son that they, they should be condemned. Yet some will be condemned. And the answer is because they didn't believe. All they needed to do, it's so simple. What's the excuse? Just believe. 
Whatever else you came here for is secondary. Listen to me. Nobody who came here unsaved must live here unsaved. I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about right now. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that can pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God. listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.